0: Hey there, podcast listener. Welcome to Eat Half, Walk Double. I'm your host, Chris Dunn. This show is the chronicle of my four decades in endurance sports, told to the stories of the important, influential, and interesting people I've met along the way. And I certainly have met my share. While I catch up with friends, colleagues, rivals, clients, and the occasional family member, it's my hope you'll learn a little something about health, fitness, and the secrets to living well along the way. On today's show, I take a trip down memory lane to an incredibly influential and important time in my life, both personally and professionally. My great longtime friend and Wake Forest University classmate, Dr. David Edwards joins the show. It was at Wake Forest that we were both introduced to trail running and ultra distance racing. Dave is currently a professor of kinesiology and applied science, as well as the principal investigator of the Center of Biomedical Research Excellence in Cardiovascular Health at the University of Delaware. He also happens to be an endurance athlete and kidney transplant recipient. His unique perspective, both personally and professionally, and all things related to and keeping the kidney safe and healthy during endurance training and racing, is absolutely worth the listen. So here he is, Dr. David Edwards. Hey, Doc. Welcome to the show.
1: Hey Chris, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah,
0: I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to have the opportunity to chat with you um, uh, today. Hey, uh, I was thinking about this uh, earlier. Um, you know, it's been almost 30 years since you and I left Wake Forest. Yeah, time flies. Does it? Does it seem? Does it seem like that it's been that long?
1: No, for sure. Um, yeah, there's lots of things in my life that don't seem like they've been that long ago, but. <laughs>
0: It's true. Yeah. I mean, it's only when it's only when you pause for a moment and actually kind of think back and start to do the math that you realize, well, th- that you realize that time goes by really fast. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Some, sometimes in a blur. And yet, um, and yet, and yet my time at Wake Forest, and I'm, 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 I'm eager to hear what you hear, what you think about this too, is that um, there are just a lot of really great memories, um, really kind of vivid memories. Um, doesn't In other words, it doesn't seem like it's been that long ago because I, you know, I, I can think about some of these things in great detail. And I should say, too, for the uh, for the listener, um, as a as a as a way of a little background, uh, uh, you and I went to well, you and I met uh, at Wake Forest uh, University in 1991. Yeah. As first year as first year grad students. I I have to share a a quick story with you uh, about uh, about that initial experience. And, 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 again, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be curious to hear what, what, what your initial experiences were. So I'll never forget. Um, we probably, I probably had only been on campus for a very short period of time. And um, it was our, it was my first day, our first day um, as first year grad students uh, assisting with uh, cardiac rehab. And um, I remember uh, standing on the tennis courts that were adjacent to the field house thats mm-hmm. what i'm calling it again for some things i remember very clearly yeah. other things is a little bit fuzzy um but the field house where our offices were and we were yeah. standing well, on the tennis yeah. yeah yes we were standing on the tennis courts and each of us as first year grad students had a line of cardiac patients uh phase three or phase four maintenance patients. Um, this was, this was outpatient, uh, cardiac rehab, um, as, as part of, as part of Wake Forest University's cardiac rehab program that as first year grad students, uh, and actually a second year grad students, we were, uh, we were responsible for helping to execute. Anyway, I had a, I had a line of, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 patients, um, uh, who were standing in line to get their blood pressure checked. And, you know, the, Bergy or whoever it was, uh, you know, gave us a stethoscope and a blood pressure cuff and said, "Go to it." Well, <laughs> I'll never forget standing in front of that line of people, having zero idea how to take a blood pressure. I, like literally, I had—I I, might have done it once or twice uh, in in my life, but I certainly wasn't really good at it. And yet, I had this th- this long line of folks who were very accustomed to graduate students knowing exactly what to do and taking their blood pressure. Uh, and, and I, I don't remember if you were next to me or, or, or who exactly was next to me, but I, I do remember peeking over my shoulder and looking to see how the, how the, how, how the, uh, my classmate next to me was doing it. And then I kind of was sort of doing it the same way, but I was totally making the numbers up, uh, and the puzzled look on these, uh, on, on, <laughs> on their faces, like, no, that's not my blood pressure, but. But to a person, they were all really kind and didn't give me, didn't, didn't give me any, any guff about the fact that I was totally botching, uh, these blood pressures. What, what, what was your experience early on, uh, at Wake?
1: Yeah. So when Wake Forest is, I think for me, it was a, I don't know, very impactful time. You know, you come out of undergrad, you really don't know what you're doing and that's like your first kind of real life experience. So, um, yeah, you know, cardiac rehab was great. Uh, I started, we actually had phase two back then. So I was in that group to start with as a first year. And um, yeah, I just remember it's just thrown in, you're just thrown in there and you learn from the second year student and um, you kind of get through it. And the patients were great. You know, I I think they really enjoyed being around, you know, graduate students, uh, you know, it's a college campus. They liked being in that environment and they were eager to to either get better in phase two or keep, keep what they got, uh, in the maintenance program. So yeah, it was, a, it was an outstanding experience. Yeah. I
0: think, uh, yeah, I think, I think your point is well taken that, um, for most of these, um, folks that were
1: participating
0: in cardiac rehab, uh, they had been around for a while. So they had, they had seen students come through and, and, and uh, I mean, that, that's, Probably largely why nobody gave me a hard time about botching blood pressures is because they just knew this is what first year grad students do. Some some first year grad students know how to take blood pressures. Others are totally making it up. Um, uh, But but they were all uh, really, really, really good about it. Um, You know, you 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 and I also had a um, (laughs) an interesting experience at some point uh, during our two years at Wake Forest. Um, Well, as as grad students. And, and and anyone that's been to graduate school, uh, particularly in the in the sciences, understands that uh, as as a grad student, you are you're a guinea pig essentially, right? You um, uh, you 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 participate. Um, willingly sort of in in quotation fingers you willingly participate in studies because um you know the uh the the, the PhDs the professors uh, in these departments are always looking for people to pitch in uh as as study subjects well you and i actually had an opportunity to participate in a study that was actually kind of fun and 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 interesting my thesis advisor uh, our professor dr michael berry um and i don't i don't really remember exactly the story of how this all came to pass but but michael was into mountain biking um at that time that, that we were at wake and uh, somehow he managed to get his hands on a uh, full suspension mountain bike now at the time this is early 90s uh, full suspension mountain bikes were not necessarily widely available i mean they they were obviously they were a thing um and they were particularly a thing in in professional mountain bike racing but they hadn't actually they hadn't sort of hadn't they hadn't they weren't yet widely distributed commercially, right? So this one particular um, um, bike manufacturer sent Michael a full suspension mountain bike. And again, I'm, I'm botching the, the, the nitty gritty details, but basically, Michael got his hand on, hands on a full suspension mountain bike, and this bike company wanted him to test um, whether or not different um, suspension setups were metabolically more efficient or effective than other. Uh, suspension setups in other words you know locking out the front locking out the rear locking out uh, full lockout full squish uh, and so as grad students we had the opportunity to test these different suspension setups um, except it, it wasn't really a, a sort of a traditional study um <laughs> do, do you remember the day that we walked into the lab and and we looked at the bike and the treadmill and and what michael had uh had taped to the deck of the treadmill. Do you remember that story?
1: Yeah. So I remember that, that bike came in. So the company was off road, and they made the Proflex, um, and it came in, and we all rode it down the uh, stairs outside of our office, um, and we all stayed on it, which was you know. So um, yeah, so we had an old school treadmill that had lots of clearance underneath, so Michael was able to duct tape some two by fours to the uh, to the to the treadmill belt, and um, he he figured out a way to kind of harness the bike so that you wouldn't go flying off the back and you just rode that bike um on on the bump mill uh we measured oxygen consumption and you know in different different situations like you said you know locked out front locked out back full lockout um and that, it turned out that 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 suspension you know was beneficial when you ha- when you're going over bumps right and, you know we've all ridden you know, full suspension bikes and it's not the best in certain situations, but, um, in that case where you're on full bump, uh, you know, it worked well. So, and, and actually, you know, we were able to purchase some bikes from them after the fact, and Michael actually lent me the money in grad school to buy the bike and I paid him back. And so, you know, that was my full, first full suspension bike full of elastomer back then.
0: That's awesome. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, it's really a, it, It's a, it's a, it's really a funny story. You know, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, I think at that point we, we'd all probably had the experience of, of being on a treadmill, walking on a treadmill or running on the treadmill, but I, I can tell you, I had never ridden a bike on a treadmill. Um, that was a, that was a totally new thing. And I, uh, I I do remember that we, we had a number of accommodation rides where, where before he, before he taped the two by four, uh, to the treadmill uh, we went into the lab you know several times to learn how to ride the bike mm-hmm. on the treadmill um and and, and i'll also i'll also n- never forget the time that m- maybe it was the first time that that we went into the lab for one of these accommodation rides and the bike was tethered to the treadmill now it wasn't a it, it wasn't a really tight tether but the bike was essentially tied off to the front of the treadmill and i remember asking michael why, why is the bike tied to the treadmill?" And Michael said, well, well, if you knuckleheads fall off the bike, he said, I don't want I don't want to damage the bike. I want the bike to stay in one piece like he, not that He had complete disregard for us, um, but he, 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 he sort of had a little bit more regard for the bike <laughs> than uh, than the grad students. Uh, but what what uh, what 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 an, what an amazing experience. Um, <laughs> again, we'll 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 never forget that, you know, for us, too. Um, well, for me, you um, um, Michael was a was a really strong influence in terms of my, my uh, well what ended up would would end up becoming a uh, a recreational pursuit and passion. It ended up actually turning into a business for me. Um, and that was and that was trail running. I mean, mountain biking to a, to a certain extent, but but trail running to a much to a much larger extent. I really hadn't done uh, all that much trail running before I, I got I got to wake Um, but as grad students in that program and, and, and being, um, you know, very strongly influenced, um, by Dr. Barry, um, I began to develop appreciation for trail running for you, uh, Dave, before you, before you, you, you came to wake, um, had you done a lot of trail running before, before then?
1: Yeah, not really. You know, I was a soccer player and then, you know, turned to running, um, after that. Um, so when I got there, yeah, that was, that was new. Um, I'd say it was a little bit up here, but, um, yeah, so that was, yeah, I think a big part of, of, um, my future as well. Right. Like it was just an influential time and, um, yeah, trail running, mountain biking, um, you know, that ProFlex I, I rode that out on the trails where Michael rode his bike and Mark, Mark Woodard was another big mountain biker that was there still there now. Um, yeah, so I, I, I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, we would run from campus and find trails. That's just what we did every day.
0: Michael also had this, uh, I mean, to your point, how, how, how influential he was really, um, on me. And it sounds like on you that, uh, (laughs) Michael had this running group, uh, called the Rambo runners and, and, um, as grad students, we, we had the opportunity to become members of this club. Uh, the whole idea being, and it was, <laughs> the whole idea being was on the, just the nastiest days, the wettest, rainiest, coldest, muddiest days, Michael would call what he would refer to as a Rambo run. And no matter what you had going on, if Michael called a Rambo run, you had to show up. Cause if, cause if you didn't show up, I think you had, maybe you could maybe miss one, but you couldn't miss two. If you, if you, you know, if you missed, if you made one or if you made two, you were in the club. If you missed two, you were out of the club. Um, and, and <laughs> Michael wouldn't just take us on trail runs. He, he would, he would take us, he would bushwhack us, uh, uh, just through the, the, you know, the, the thickest, nastiest, muddiest, smelliest, uh, areas in and around campus that he could that he could possibly find. Um, you know, when we'd eventually make it back to campus, and you'd, you'd get back to campus, and, and you, th- there would always be this point at which you'd, you'd, you'd look at your shoes and think, "Are those salvageable, or am I going to have to throw those away?" Uh, do, you, do you remember those Rambo runs?
1: Oh yeah, it, were, uh, it was cold. You would come back and you'd just be freezing. Uh, we would play splash, <laughs> right? So you would you get points for how high up you could get water on somebody else, but you come back and you're just, your legs would be so beat because you'd be trying to splash people. Um, Yeah. So it was just, um, yeah, those are great runs. Even the road runs, right. You know, like until you figured out what the runs were like summit seven, it's not seven miles, it's seven Hills. Right. So um, You had no idea until you learned the runs. You had no idea how long you were going, where you were going. the bow and fish you know industrial strength there's all kinds of different runs that were that were of interest and they weren't all on trail either so
0: didn't didn't he have wasn't there one uh m m m d or more and more difficult
1: yeah I don't remember that one but I'm sure there was yeah <laughs> huh. um, um yeah
0: just well th- we, there was also a run that that he would do where and I can't exactly remember the details um but i, I I recall it being something to the effect of, you know, as first year grad students, I mean, mean, neither of us were from the area. I mean, I was from New Hampshire. You were from the Philly area. I mean, I I didn't know Winston-Salem from from anything. Uh, And we would go on a run (laughs) uh, and we would call out left or right in an effort to try to get back to campus. Right. Do you remember that? Do you remember those runs where, well, where, where it would be dictated by us? Is Am I remembering that right?
1: Yeah. I mean, he liked to take you out where you didn't know where you were. Um, <laughs> cause that way like, you could control the pace and you know, all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, um, there were lots of interesting runs, Salem Lake runs, you know, he'd stop and pick up deviled eggs at the, uh, <laughs> the little 24 hour snack place and Yeah.
0: well 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 speak speaking of that i mean as much as much road running as we did and we 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 certainly did we certainly did some we also did a fair amount of of trail running in fact um as grad students um uh we were we were turned on to um the idea of this race called the JFK 50. as this i mean it's it's really an iconic 50 mile uh, trail race in that in that neck of the woods um and so as a grad student, that was really my first foray into ultra distance uh, training. Now I had, I had zero idea of how to train for an ultra. Basically I was following Michael's lead and we would go out on, we would go out on these really long training runs and Michael would have this fanny pack that had, I don't know if it was a Walkman or what the heck it was. And it had, somehow he, he affixed these external speakers to this Walkman device so that we could listen to music playing from his, from his, from his fanny pack. And, um, and so we, 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 we were all kind of, you know, doing this basically again, following Michael's lead training for the JFK 50 Uh, except um, in the end, I didn't make it to the starting line. And I don't think you made it to the starting line either. Uh, Do you, do you remember, remember what happened?
1: So I remember those training runs for sure. You know, Michael had, the it was a Walkman back in the day with a tape in it. Um, he had these speakers kind of attached to his fanny pack and James McMurtry was the, the, uh, singer of choice typically. Um, and I'm, I'm a James McMurtry fan to this day. Okay. Um, cool. so, you know, um, so yeah. And then I, I mean, I, I, I believe you had a hip flexor issue. Um, he tended to, That was your injury of choice, typically back then. True. Um, I don't even know what happened to me um, at that point in time. Um, I eventually did the JFK a few years later. I came back to work for Michael for he had a clinical trial going on. Um, But yeah, I don't remember why why that didn't go off that year. But uh, maybe you can remember why I didn't. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I well, I no, not, not, not specifically, but I, I I don't even think Michael made it to the starting. Yeah. I don't
1: think anybody made it that year. Um, yeah, I'm not sure But the, you know, JFK was, or, um, the shut-in was always a big event. Um, and then JFK was something that we talked about doing, um, just didn't, I think everybody just got banged up. Yeah. 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 I mean, it was
0: obviously it, it was a different time. And, and I, I mean, I do recall largely and, and this is obviously this is not to hang, not to hang it on Michael, but I mean, I, 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 recall literally just following along. Like I really, I had not planned anything out, but you, but you mentioned, you mentioned the shut-in, uh, Ridge trail race. That's also an iconic race down there. Um, and you, <laughs> you have a funny story about, uh, about, about the shut-in, uh, again, as, as grad students, um, it was sort of a rite of passage. I mean, particularly if you, you know, if you, if you kind of hung out with Michael and if you were involved, Uh, in, 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 in Michael's weekly runs, eventually the discussion got around to this shut in Ridge trail, uh, uh, run or race that, that Michael had, you know, had, he had participated in for years and had brought grad students to that event for years. Um, and you know, from a trail racing standpoint, that, that really was, I believe that was the first trail race I probably had ever done. Well, you had an interesting story about, so, so for the, for, for the listener that has never heard of the shut-in ridge, uh, trail race, what, what, essentially what, what is it? What, what's the distance? What's the, what's the terrain? How much do you remember about the shut-in?
1: Yeah. So the shut-in, um, starts in Asheville and you head up about 17 and a half miles, pretty much uphill the whole way. You parallel the, um, um, I the, the, um. What's the parkway called down there?
0: Yeah. Blue Ridge Parkway.
1: Parkway. Yeah. I was thinking Shenandoah, but that's where that's in Virginia. So it's Blue Ridge down in North Carolina. You parallel that, you have some friends drive uh, along, along the trail and uh, bring you some things to eat or drink should you choose to do so. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So um, that first year, I'll, I'll, my motivation for that race was partly um, due to, to Dr. Jack Rajeski. Um, I remember where we would run, run as a big group and we would talk about the shut-in and, and he would always look at me and say, you're just not big, and big enough. There's just not enough to you. You're gonna break down in that race. You know, it's it's uphill and, and that used to just, yeah, it just got under my skin. You know, all, all of us, you know, have a little bit of Michael Jordan in us where we don't want to be disrespected and we th- you take that personally, right? True. Um, so I felt really good that day. Um, I remember we started and I was like, well, I guess the pace is kind of, you know, I can go faster than this. So I got in with a group, kind of asked them what their, you know, their goal was. And, and, and essentially your finish time in the shut-in at that point, the, the course has changed a little bit now, but if you finished it in, in three hours or so, that was a pretty good time, equivalent to like a three-hour marathon, something like that. So I got in with this group and and asked them what their goal was, and that's what their goal was. I'm like, all right, I'll stay with them. And then, you know, we're in this flat section. I'm like, I can go faster than this. So I took off ahead of them and missed a turn. Um, and then went downhill for a while and realized that that was not the, the, the trail, had to turn around came back. Then I came upon you and Brian, um, who, was, who was running with us. Um, and then Brian cramped. <laughs> That's so really he was pulling small trees out of the ground. Um, <laughs> That's <true>. That's <laughs> so true. then we got him up and then I left again, um, caught up to Michael and Steve. Um, then I left them, and Michael was never going to forget that. Um, I did not eat or drink enough. And eventually, the last three, last two miles of that race are essentially uphill to the finish, almost hand over foot. Um, and I got to the top, and now it's gotten really cold. There's like this nice glaze of ice on the trees. It's really actually would have been beautiful um, had I not been hypothermic hypoglycemic <laughs> hypohydrated all um, the hypos i had them all um, i sat down on a rock um, and um that was the day i learned it was okay to take candy from strangers <laughs> um, some guy came by gave me a snickers That's and right. then eventually <laughs> michael and steve came by they just kept going <laughs> <laughs> And then you and Brian came by and you got me to the finish. So, um, yeah, that was, a. <laughs> Mike,
0: Michael was Mike, Michael basically was teaching you a lesson because I, 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 I mean, I remember him distinctly saying, don't go out too hard because if you go yeah. out too hard, you're going, you're going to blow up now. I mean, it's really difficult, you know, to, to, to hear that message, uh, and then practically apply it when you get into the experience, particularly if you're feeling good, I'll never forget <clears throat> coming up to you. And again, you were you were sitting just on the side of the trail with your head down um, and we got to you. And again, you had all the hypos, uh, which was pr- probably you know, a big part of the reason why you had sat down at that point. And and we got you up. And uh, I said uh, I said something to the effect of, uh, you know, Dave, what, what what's going on? Why, why why are you sitting by the side of the trail? And you said something to the effect of. I, I got to this point and I couldn't remember which way to go. Like you, 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 this is what you said. You, you you didn't remember which way to go on the trail, and bec- probably in you know at least in part because you had kind of gotten off course earlier, you didn't want to make that same mistake again. And so just being completely disoriented because of all the hypos, uh you 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 didn't want to make a catastrophic error that late in the race. Again, I I you probably figured that at some point somebody would take you by the arm and and get you to the finish, and that's and that's exactly that's exactly what happened um
1: you know yeah, so I learned a lot from that race <laughs> you know <laughs> I remember when we did the longest day I probably had you know 3,000 calories that day because I was not gonna do that again um,
0: that's true yeah that um <laughs> I'm glad that I'm glad that you mentioned that it I mean it you know that our time at wake forest um wasn't wasn't the beginning and the end of our time racing together you and i had the opportunity to race together um many more times after we after we left wake forest you mentioned the longest day uh the 24-hour adventure race in new york that we did together uh you and all you and i also did a road marathon together uh the Maine marathon uh, up in up in portland maine um, we, we both had, we both had, well, I had grandiose ideas of running a PR that day. Um, and you know, I- interestingly enough, as, as, as much as, as much as you and I, you know, learned during our time at Wake Forest, uh, not only as it relates to, you know, training for, for JFK racing experience at, at, uh, at the shut in, um, <laughs> years later, when you and I got to the main marathon, um, <laughs> <laughs> perhaps maybe we didn't we didn't learn our lessons well enough because uh, uh we were both feeling pretty frisky early uh in the main marathon and and uh, uh i know i probably pushed the pace a little bit too hard um i mean that ultimately that's not what sort of uh was your uh, undoing at the main marathon you had some it band issues i believe um and i totally bonked um and uh I limped into, I don't know, 330 something finish, which is, which is very respectable. But early on in that, in that race, you and I were on, we're on sort of, we're on three hour finish pace.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was in Florida at the time, so I was training in Florida and I got to Maine and I was like, wow, this temperature is awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> the hills, the hills were different than Gainesville oh, for okay. sure. Um, yeah. So I, and during my training, I had torn the retinaculum in my knee um and you know so i backed the training off we came through you know 13 um 13 miles at about 130 so there's no way we're going to hold that but it's still a decent pace um but that's when my knee just kind of kind of gave and in hindsight i should have just like stopped running but i didn't so i did this kind of weird kind of gate to the finish and i remember um, your son Braden was there at the finish and was like, Hey, Mr. Dave, you were like almost last. <laughs> I'm like, I finished, you know. Uh, and I think I rolled in around four, four hours. So, you know, an hour and a half for the first half and two and a half for the second half. So it was a slow, it was a slow slog.
0: It was, oh, yeah, it half. was, it was a, it was a grizzly day for both of us. <clears throat> and what started with tremendous promise again, to your point, we were cruising at the halfway point. Um, it, the second half of the race was a, was a completely different story. I'm glad you mentioned the university of Florida. So when you left wake forest, um, you went and got your PhD at the university of Florida. Um, what,
1: what, what did you
0: study there at the university of Florida?
1: Yeah. So I, I worked for a bit before I went back. Um, so, you know, um, I, I was about four years, I guess, in between, something like that. Yeah, so I went back to University of Florida. Uh, I got a PhD in exercise physiology. Took some classes at the medical school in physiology, so I ended up getting a minor in just physiology, which I don't understand why they did that. But um, so at the time there, I studied. Um, I was study- I got into studying vascular function as it relates to kind of cardiovascular risk um and most of the work that I did when I was there was with heart transplant heart failure patients um and then I finished there um ultimately ended up back at the University of Delaware where I did my undergrad or I still am and um yeah I've been here this is my 17th year now here wow. at, University, at University of Delaware yeah and um what,
0: what, what is your current research focus on now, Dave, at the University of Delaware?
1: Yeah, so, um, I would say, you know, in general, the general theme is, again, we're interested in, um, kind of vascular risk from both, um, from a cardiovascular, so the vasculature is important for, you know, there's lots of different things, but we think about it from a cardiovascular risk perspective, um. But you can think about it, like end end organ damage, you know, the brain. A lot of people study, you know, the effects of vascular function on the brain. So we're doing a little bit of cognition stuff now. Um, And then the kidney um, is the other one. So kind of the the big major um, area. And we do a little bit of acute exercise work, too, where we're interested in kind of like aging effects on um, cardiovascular response to exercise. So um, probably the two Big areas. One is kind of understanding the mechanisms of vascular dysfunction and kidney disease and then trying to figure out what we can do about it. And usually what we do about it is exercise. Um, and then the other big area that we study is the the kind of adverse effects of dietary salt on um, on vascular function. Um so the, the I think the important part there is that we're we're not studying like elite endurance athletes that may be depleting their salt stores, right? This these are just everyday people that eat too much salt in general. The, population does. So those are the the major areas that we study.
0: Well, you have, uh, as it relates to the kidney, uh, you actually have a, you have a personal story, um, uh, related to, to, to the kidney and kidney disease and, and kidney disease and exercise. Um, We'll, we'll get to your kidney transplant in just a moment because I think that's a, re- a remarkable personal story. Um, but but w- what is your story, your own personal story as it relates as it relates to to, to kidney disease?
1: Yeah, so um, I was born with a congenital defect in my um, kind of plumbing system, right? Um, so that wasn't caught until I was oh, a year, year and a half, something like that. Um, you know, some damage was done, you know, this was the early seventies. So, you know, there was, you know, maybe, maybe it could have been handled a little bit differently surgically. So there was some damage, um, to the kidney as a result of that, where, you know, the urine doesn't go out, it goes back into the kidney and damages it. So, uh, it's called hydro ureters and then hydronephrosis when it gets into the kidneys. So that was the damage that was done. Um, they really didn't know, you know, how long the kidneys would last it was one of those things where um you knew it was there just monitored it i mean fortunately for me um you know i always saw somebody i fortunately went on to in, in, to study physiology so you know i understood the physiology and um, it was a slow burn over you know 50 years um and much longer than they anticipated and from um, my personal perspective, and my nephrologist's perspective, they think that you know exercise probably helps to slow that process. Um, and then you know I had the transplant; it'll be a year in June. Um, so yeah, it was you know I raced for a while, and then eventually, what happened is you know my hemoglobin levels dropped, and I just couldn't do what I wanted to do. Um, so you know I just continued to run and exercise and do those types of things, and. Now you know. Afterwards, I'm back to run. I was back to run in about three months, three and a half months after the transplant. Uh, you know, pretty much no restrictions to everything I want to do. Um, yeah, so it's, that's that's kind of where I am. And, and and the reason that I got into studying kidney disease is when I went and looked looked into some of the literature. There just wasn't that much there. There was a study that came out in early early two thousands that just showed that. Essentially, having kidney disease is a cardiovascular risk equivalent. Um, So there just wasn't a whole lot of work trying to figure out why that was. So that's kind of how I got into that, um, you know, and and we've continued to kind of work in that area. So for you know
0: for the handful of decades um, as an endurance athlete, um, uh, you know, dealing with dealing with this kidney. Issue this kidney consideration. Um, Did you have to take special precautions? I mean, I'm I'm talking about Um, pre-transplant when when you were when you were when you were training and racing. Did were there any special precautions that you had to take um, um, in in order to keep you know your your one super functioning kidney functioning the way that it was supposed to function?
1: Yeah, so that's it's it's interesting that you stated that way because I really didn't have one super functioning kidney both kidneys were damaged to essentially equal effects. So, you know, both of them had some disease and between the two, at one point, I probably had the equivalent to one, but it just kind of kept going down. So the precautions um, really, so in kidney disease, you don't do a very good job in concentrating your urine, right, so um, if, you know, a, a healthy individual with healthy kidneys is dehydrated, still excrete a very small volume of urine um, and my kidneys just didn't do that. Um, so I had to really make sure that I maintained um, hydration during um, any kind of event, you know, the longer the event, the, the bigger the deal, right, because the more fluid you lose. Um, so that was probably the, the biggest thing. Um, you know, the high school years, um, college years when you're, you're also um, maybe drinking a little bit too much and dehydrating yourself with uh, some other beverages that made it more difficult at times, but you know, they didn't really hold me back and just, you know, live your life and do those types of things. So it was really more about hydration um, from that perspective.
0: Yeah. Did you, <clears throat> did you, did you ever kind of get into, into trouble so to speak with uh, with, with becoming um, you know, having you know, electrolyte imbalances that caused uh, like a serious reaction that required hospitalization. In other words, did, did you ever push it? uh, too far?
1: No. Um, I mean, I, I don't think, you know I've never had, you know, clinical hyponatremia or I've never had, um, been dehydrated to the point. Um, I've had been, you know, I think playing, um, as in athletic events, you know, I've had periods where I've been a little bit, you know, you get disoriented, you start to see this, the, those, you know, bright spots and you feel like you're going to pass out. But, um, you know, no different than I think anybody else. So I think that, you know, that was okay. There've been some events where, um, if it's r- really, really warm and high humidity, you know, high heat days, I just didn't do well. Um, but I didn't never got myself into trouble. That mm-hmm. I can, can yeah. remember.
0: So how, how did you know that it was time to, to have the, to have the transplant? I mean, <laughs> obviously you, you knew that day eventually would come, but how, how did you, I mean, what, what was the tipping point for you? Or maybe there wasn't a tipping point. What, how, did, how did you get to the point where you, you, you decided, you know what, it, it's time?
1: Well, you know, to be honest, if I hadn't been seeing a doctor, I, would, it, I wouldn't have known. Um, so, you know, I still could do everything I wanted to do a little slower. But, um, and, but you know, they, it was clear from the blood work that, you know, my you know, estimated GFR which is you know, glomerular filtration rate is, you know, how, how much your kidneys filter per, per minute, you know, it was really, really, really low. It was down into the, to the low teens. Um, so at some point, he, it was tricky because it was during COVID. Um, so that second year of COVID, so 21, things got a little bit better that summer. Um, so it was June of 21 that we did it. My sister turned out to be a match. Um, she donated a kidney. So it was really, from that perspective, it was pretty, pretty simple. Um, you know, <laughs> what's funny is when I went into the, to have the transplant, you know, they kind of looked at me and my sister and said, so which one of you is getting the transplant? <laughs> um, so <laughs> um, the picture's pre-transplant, you know, it's just kind of, it was kind of, you know, so, you know, the good, the good, the positive thing is I don't really have um, any other issues. You know, The cause of the kidney disease is not going to come back, right? um you know don't have diabetes you know hypertension is not really a kidney so there's not there's nothing going to be banging on the kidney that should cause some problems other than the immunosuppression that can slowly cause some damage over time but so you know um I'll have my year checkup in June and they told me that I can just see a local doctor and just come back and see them in a year when I after that so um, things are going really well yeah. So, um, I mean, essentially if you, if you, if you wanted to get
0: back to, to training and racing, you don't, you don't have any, you don't have any limitations, at medical or clinical limitations at this point.
1: No. Yeah. So I fully anticipate I did, you know, I did, a um, the Manchester road race with my daughter in, in November. Um, just as something fun to do. Um, well, Shannon, my wife did it as well, uh, but I ran with Elise and, um, yeah, so I, I fully anticipate that. I did, actually did a little bit of speed work last week. So, you know, we're trying to get slowly back in there. You know, I run probably, um, you know, 20, 25 miles a week at this point. So something like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: <clears throat> I mean, as much as, as much as you just professionally, as, as much as you probably understood about the um, uh, the transplant process and probably as much reading as you had done about transplant and about how that was all going to, uh, to, to, uh, to proceed. Um, was there anything that surprised you or, or caught you off guard after the fact, as it relates to transplant, something you, something related to the transplant and the recovery that you, that you
1: didn't expect? Well, you know, I I think we all, you know, if we're if we take care of ourselves and we stay fit we always think that we can bounce back really really fast from things right but the two weeks after after surgery were brutal uh, it was tough um, so but you know then once the two weeks was up it was fine so I think I underestimated how <laughs> how debilitating having your gut cut open is you know like those first two weeks are tough um, so but outside of that I think um, everything else kind of went as I anticipated hmm. Um from that perspective.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, with your with your with your personal knowledge, um, and your and your professional experience, uh, as it relates to as it relates to exercise and, and, and as it relates to the kidney, um, I, I want to ask you a couple of questions that um, are questions that that and 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 issues that that I deal with as a professional endurance coach. Coaching, coaching ultra ultra distance. Well, coaching really all, all sorts of endurance athletes, but particularly ultra distance athletes um, during the during the summer months, during times at which um, heat stress potentially impacts uh, performance. Uh, well, not only does it potentially impact performance, but it also potentially you know could impact health as well. So, I'm uh, I'm 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 eager to get your 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 professional thoughts about a couple of issues uh related uh to the to the kidney and exercise um first of all just for the lay person out there i mean why why are the why are what do the kidneys do i mean why why are they important why why should we care about uh how our how our kidneys function
1: yeah so i mean the kidneys are critical i mean if you you know anybody that has kidney disease right They can't just continue on they have to go get on dialysis and something or so the kidneys are important for some reason right so um really they're there to to get rid of waste and hold on to the things that we need to hold on to um and really that's you know if you think about when we filter um the plasma right that's what the kidneys do they filter the plasma um about 120 milliliters per minute and then healthy kidney um and then we reabsorb pretty much 99% of that, right? So all the water, all the electrolytes, you know, sodium, potassium, you know, potassium, depending on what what our situation is, we'll secrete some, we'll hold on to some, um, and get rid of waste products. Um, so that's what we typically think of the kidney for, but the kidney is also important for, you know, um, that's where erythropoietin, EPO, the hormone that stimulates red blood cell formation in the bone marrow, is produced vitamin d is activated in the kidney um, calcium homeostasis the kidney is important for so lots of different things that the kidney kidney plays a role in um, blood pressure regulation you know um, particularly by regulating volume um, so the kidney is you know it's pretty important from that perspective
0: now is there is there a difference um is there a difference to how the kidney reacts or responds to exercise in different environmental conditions, say, you know, excessive heat? Um, uh, Does the environment with which we exercise in, does that, does that impact the kidney at all?
1: So exercise in general, right? So if you think about the fight or flight response, um, so exercise in general is going to cause an increased sympathetic activation, which decreases blood flow to the non-important tissues, and the kidney is one of those, right? So you'll have a decrease in blood flow to the kidney during exercise.
0: So, Dave, just to just to interrupt you for a moment, that's a really good point. Um, so, if blood flow to the kidney and other visceral organs is reduced during exercise, where 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 is the blood going? If it's not going to the kidney, uh, where else would it go during exercise?
1: Yeah. So it's going to the active muscle, right? Um, so that's, that sympathetic activation is going to the active muscle, but because the muscle is active, it's producing lots of different vasodilators. So you're able to overcome that and it's the active muscle that's getting the, uh, getting that increased blood flow. So you're, you're basically shunting blood flow to where you need it most, right? Um, if you think about, you know, our ancestors running from a lion or whatever it may be, right, it's to get away. But for us now it's, it's these events that we do. Um, so you're, you're just shunting blood to the active areas. You know, you maintain blood flow to the, to the brain, um, can increase blood flow to the heart, um, active tissue. Um, so you're, you know, your GI tract, gets a reduction in blood flow in the kidneys, reduction in blood flow and so forth. Upper yeah. Body. Now would,
0: would, 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 the skin be the other organ that a significant amount of blood flow would go to? Right. So
1: depending on the, well, in any, in any situation, you're going to have an increase in blood flow to the skin, but in really, really hot conditions. Um, the skin will get even more of more blood flow, and that could actually be detrimental to performance because that comes at at the expense of the active muscle, right? So um, you only have so much. Your cardiac output is only so high, so it can be distributed to the muscle and the, and the skin. Yeah. So um, you'll shunt more of it to the skin, the hot of the day, um, and so forth.
0: Yeah. So so it is the kidney. So to your point. During exercise in general, blood flow to the to the kidney is reduced um, in order to in order to get that blood flow to areas in which it might be more productive, uh, particularly the the exercising muscle. Um, So the combination then of reduced blood flow to the kidney as a result of exercise and then add on top of that environmental stress, does 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 the additional burden of the of environmental stress? I mean, how does that impact the kidney at all?
1: Yes. So probably the the bigger impact on the kidney would be the the loss of fluids right through sweat Um, so you have a decrease in blood flow the kidneys are are good at adjusting urine output depending on you know we have got you know uh, hormones um, that are important for determining whether or not we're going to reabsorb water or you know so antidiuretic hormone right adh is the big hormone that will be high when we're dehydrated so that we reabsorb water Um, and we can we can excrete a very small amount of urine in those situations when we're dehydrated, but we still have to excrete some, right? We still have some some waste products that we have to get rid of. So um, we need to have some kind of minimum, you know, uh, water intake to make sure that we can get rid of those. Um, And, you know, it doesn't mean that we have to do it during an event, um, but after an event, we need to be excreting these, these things.
0: Yeah, so that's, a, I'm glad that you mentioned that because that's something that um, um, those are reports that I get back from ultra distance athletes um, quite frequently. And it's oftentimes associated with, with quite a bit of confusion. And that is, um, you know, there are some athletes that either during a really long training run or a, or a really long race will actually pee several times during the race or several times during a really long training run. There are other athletes, though, that w- report that, you know, I I didn't pee like I, it was a five hour, six hour, 12 hour race and I didn't pee. And then uh, it was hours and hours and hours after the race uh, before I peed again. Is there I mean, should we read anything into that, Dave, whether or not whether or not I am urinating frequently uh, during a long race or long run or I'm not urinating at all? Uh, is there, I mean, is there anything to be concerned about if I'm not if I stop? Urinating is that is that a is that a bad sign?
1: You know, I, I think it's probably related to hydration. Um, you know, the individual that is peeing a lot. Um <laughs> if we go back to our Wake Forest days, Michael Berry would pee on every run. Yes, um he <laughs> and uh so you know it's nice to to have that feedback that you are peeing, but at the same time, if you're you know, if you're slightly dehydrated. Um, you're only producing as much urine to get rid of, you know. Your bladder just may not fill up completely to give you that urge to pee. Now, the the risk, the longer you go after some kind of event without urinating, then you start to want, you start to worry. I think, um, you know, um, you know, rhabdomyo- rhabdomyolysis is is something that can occur with. You know, long endurance events, and
0: yeah. So I've yeah, I've, so I've heard about that. I've, I've actually heard about it as it relates to something like like CrossFit, like these really super high intensity activities. What what is what is rhabdomyolysis? What is that?
1: Yeah, it's really um, you know breakdown of muscle, um, and then the that that those breakdown products of the muscle. It can occur. You know, they're not really sure exactly what triggers it in, in an individual. Um, you hear about it sometimes. You've heard about this in like college athletes that have come back from. Uh, the off season and you know for, for whatever reason the strength coach has them just go crazy the first week of, of workouts and they just have a massive muscle breakdown uh, but it can occur in a long endurance event too um, so you know and then then those byproducts end up causing some problems in the kidney they can cause some cardiac issues too um, so the longer you go without urinating you typically have some other symptoms too that to go along with this um, you mean, so, you mean you mean you a- mean after the race? Their, yeah, you feel don't symptoms? feel good, be vomiting, you know those types of things.
0: Now, would that would that would those be symptoms related to underhydration or dehydration? Is that is that what you're?
1: Uh, I, so, I mean, I'm thinking more associated with not urinating and, and maybe signaling the fact that there's rhabdomyolysis going on, right? So, Got it. Um, Got it. So, you know, I think that the the longer someone would go without urinating post event, the more they would maybe just want to just get checked out. Um, You know, there's, if you look, if you read the literature, there is like a transient decline in, or there's a, either a transient decline in renal function or a, a transient increase in some markers of kind of renal kidney damage. And I wouldn't use those, I wouldn't, because they recover very quickly, right? So if you, you study marathoners, you see these things change, but then within 24, 48 hours, they're gone. And I will say that if you scour the literature, there's there's no evidence that um, chronic endurance training leads to an increased risk of kidney disease, right? So um, I think those are important things, right? Because there are there are, have been some th- some folks in, that have said, well, this dec- decrease in in blood flow to the kidney during exercise is a bad thing. Well, if it was a, such a bad thing, I think that we would see like um, you know, an epidemic of active people with kidney disease. So that's just not happening. Um, but I, you can't have an acute kidney injury. Um, the kidney can recover completely. Um, but the more of those you, you have, potentially there's some problems down the road.
0: So I also, <clears throat> one, one of the things that, that I uh, ask my athletes to assess uh, on, on a weekly basis is I ask them to assess their uh, hydration level or hydration status. We talk, about, we talk about hydration just sort of on an ongoing basis, hydration being uh, an important variable um, with respect to uh, overall performance. Um, and so um, one of the ways, uh, actually probably in my opinion, um, at least for my athletes, the most effective way for them to assess their hydration level um, is to monitor their urine color. And, and we, 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 we talk about, um, you know, a a pale yellow color as really being the optimal color with respect to assessing, you know, day-to-day hydration levels. So we're, you know, we're always aiming uh, for a pale yellow uh, color to the urine. Um, I mean, I've, I've heard stories of, of course, I've had the experience where we've all had the experience of, of, uh, of, of over hydrating and have our urine be, you know, a very clear, have a very clear appearance. Now I've never had the experience, but I I know people who have had the experience, um, of their urine looking like iced tea, like that really brown color. Um, what, 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 what should we read or what can we read into urine color? And then is urine color a, a reliable general indicator of hydration status?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, um, that's a it's a good way you know I, I think if you're getting into the iced tea colors um those types of things you might it could be evidence of red blood cell breakdown um there you'll, you'll see little dark coca-cola colored urine in in rhabdo so you know you don't want to see that type of thing um but i think from a day-to-day kind of hydration status yeah i think using pale yellow as a it's a reasonable um you know uh, i use it myself right so you know that's kind of a goal it was a hot day yesterday i ran did a bunch of yard work and i knew last night when i went to the bathroom that i didn't hydrate enough that day so you know you have to correct it so um yeah you always want to go into training with a full tank essentially
0: (laughs) and do you think um do you think there's anything to these general recommendations about number of glasses of water that you need to drink a day or, or do do you think a a more reliable indicator um, of how much fluid you need to be drinking day in and day out is urine color? Like do you, how much stock do you put into these general guidelines of you need to drink, you know, eight to 10 glasses of water a day? I I mean, do you, do you, do you sort of, do you sort of side um, uh, uh, toward, toward that? realm or, or do you feel like hydration need is a much more individualized thing?
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I think the eight to 12 glasses a day has been kind of dispelled. Um, and it's, it's more about individual, um, you know, for the average person's probably drink when you're thirsty. Um, you know, for the endurance athlete that, that, you know, you can use weight loss, you know, there's lots of different things you could use to get an index of what you've lost during a, during a training run or an, or an event to try to rehydrate. Um, <clears throat> the key is, though, I think is important is that it's not just water that you're losing. Um, so just drinking water may not be the best thing, depending on what you've just done. So, um, you know, for the average person, just drinking water, it may be okay. But, you know, for an endurance athlete, probably not.
0: Yeah, I'm so I'm I'm really so glad that you that you brought that up <laughs> because w- 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 one of the things that I strongly discourage my ultra distance athletes from doing is drinking plain water exclusively. Uh, during an ultra-distance uh, training unit or an ultra-distance race, particularly in situations in which there is um, some kind of uh, additional thermic stress, some kind of additional stress associated with the environment, you know. And I, I, I mean, I have personal experience uh, in this realm. Number of years ago at the Vermont One Hundred, um, I don't know. I, I went through a stretch of probably six hours or so where I was I was profoundly nauseous. I was so sick to my stomach that I couldn't uh, my my drive to eat. Became nil, uh, and 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 my drive to hydrate was also pretty low as well, um, and so I got way behind on both my nutrition and hydration uh, eventually ended up, I was there. (laughs) I know. I was just, you know, (laughs) as I started to tell the story, I'm like, you know, you know, who was supposed to step in, uh, at that, uh, mile 76 aid station and pace me, um, was doc Edwards. Yes, you were, that's right. You were queued up and, and ready to pace me. Um, I got into that mile 76 aid station and I I had already kind of made up my mind that I I wasn't going to continue. Um, but I did say out loud that I was going to sit down and and uh, have a little bit of, 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 uh, uh, of chicken broth and uh, make a decision as to whether or not I was going to continue. I ended up not continuing. Uh, I felt really bad and guilty that you had driven all that way only to see me sit in a chair and, and give up. Um, but as it turns out, it was, it was almost certainly the, the, the right call because hours later, uh, when I got up to urinate, um, I lost consciousness. I had uh uh, post syncope, syncope associated with emptying the bladder. I guess I don't know. You probably know more about that than I did. Than I do anyway. It it uh, it landed me uh, in the emergency room uh, at Dartmouth, and uh, after a couple of uh, bags of of IV fluids, um, uh, it was determined that I was hyponatremic. I had low serum sodium levels. Um, uh, in this case, not related to over-consuming fluids, but almost certainly under-consuming fluids uh, in, in the environmental stress that I was in. Again, to your point, um, uh, I was losing electrolytes at a, at a very, very rapid rate uh, in sweat. Um, and because of that, uh, my, my sodium levels uh, had gotten to a point at which uh, it was uh, a significant concern. Um, and actually almost certainly was, was part of the reason why I lost consciousness. Now that experience and it, just in, 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 in a, that personal experience, in addition to my, um, you know, my, my professional knowledge in this realm too, has led me to the, the recommendation that consuming plain water during ultra distance training and ultra distance racing exclusively is probably not a good idea. So I always suggest that my, my athletes drink a uh an electrolyte containing beverage so to to sort of you know not to replace electrolyte losses because the the objective is not to replace but to replenish um in so much uh so that you know in so much as so that we can maintain um reasonable levels of electrolytes uh specifically hyponatremia uh, you know, with, 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 with your, with your, uh, with your history, with, with dealing with the kidney disease that you dealt with, <clears throat> did you ever have a, did you ever have a run in with hyponatremia? I mean, you, you, you sort of mentioned it uh, at, at the shut-in, but probably was never diagnosed. Um, but, and, and how, how big of a deal do you think hyponatremia is for, uh, ultra distance, uh, athletes during, you know, uh, environmentally stressful situations?
1: Yeah, so uh, personally, I've never experienced it. I did, you know, um, in later, longer events, I, I, you know, along with you, we would take some electrolyte pills and, and that, that helped. And I always, you know, instead of drinking water, drank like diluted Gatorade or something like that. So, um, yeah, so I mean, the, the, the problem with hyponatremia is that when you, um, you know, our body, likes to stay in equilibrium between what's inside our cells and what's outside of our cells when it comes to electrolytes. So, um, if you dilute the extracellular fluid, which is essentially the plasma and the interstitial fluid, um, then that fluid will move into our cells and the cells are going to swell. And if that happens in the brain, right, that causes problems. You start to have cognitive issues, um, eventually can lead to seizures and, and you know, um, it's really really severe like coma and things like that so that's where you just don't want to get so um, I think it's become much more um, in the last 10 years much more of a kind of something that people are aware of you know it used to be at these marathons you know where you eat, you know I think it started with lots of folks would do marathons to raise money for different societies and so forth. And they were like five hour, five and a half hour marathoners. And they would stop at every water stop and they would just drink water. Um, They weren't exerting themselves excessively, excessively, but by the time they finished they were hyponatremic because they just totally diluted their, right? So that's excess fluid. What you've talked about is the dehydration side of things where you can, you can lose fluid, but you can losing so many electrolytes. You can also become hyponatremic. So, um, you know, if you drank pure water in that since, since instance, you would become pretty hyponatremic, um, and then you're going to get swelling of, of tissue, and and it's the brain really that we worry about um, in those situations.
0: So let let's um, let let's let's finish with this. <clears throat> Based on your 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 personal and and professional uh, experience here, uh, not not only as a PhD level exercise physiologist, but someone who has. Um, not only studied the kidney, but, um, you know, but, but, but dealt with, with his own challenges related to the kidney. Um, like what, what what's your best advice, uh, to endurance athletes for a, keeping their kidneys healthy and, and, and functioning, you know, sort of tip top. Uh, and then B, um, I mean, what, 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 are the important things to consider, uh, related to, uh, hydration in, you know, with, w- with exercise during environmentally stressful situations?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think for most people, the kidneys will take care of themselves, right? They're pretty, you know, they're there to help maintain homeostasis, right? Um, so they're going to hold on to sodium and water when you need to. They're going to get rid of excess sodium, you know, eat a high salt diet. Um, I think for the individuals that don't um, exercise a ton and lose a lot of electrolytes, that we eat way too much salt and that can be damaging. There's evidence that that's not great for the kidney, excessive salt. but. Um, I don't think you want to limit salt in someone who's losing an excess amount on a daily basis. So, I mean, that's the caveat to like making sure, you know, from a salt perspective. Um, from a hydration perspective, I think you just want to maintain, maintain hydration. You know, you're gonna you're gonna lose fluid when you exercise. I mean, it's just it just happens. It's normal, right? And you're all gonna, you're gonna be dehydrated uh, uh, to some extent. Um, it'll impair performance. So you're going to slow down, <laughs> you know, so it's, you can't maintain the same intensity, which then, you know, is beneficial to organs because the intensity is decreased. Um, and making sure that you rehydrate afterwards, I think is, is really the essential part of it, right? Do the best you can during an event, um, afterwards, make sure you rehydrate, um, and replenish electrolytes, like you said.
0: Yeah, <clears throat> actually, um, last last follow up question. I'm glad that you mentioned uh, post activity uh, rehydration. Um, so, is it is is there any truth uh, to the theory that uh, the most effective way to rehydrate the body following um, following an activity in which there's significant amount of environmental stress and potentially loss of both fluids and electrolytes? Um, is there is there anything to the theory that the the best uh the best beverage or the best um the best fluids to rehydrate with is something that's a, an isotonic solution a solution that's approximately the same uh concentrate as as body fluids in other words uh, do we do we go i mean what do we, what what do we grab post event do we do we grab the bottle of water do we grab the straight bottle of gatorade or do we grab something that's something in the middle um you know it's a, a diluted form of of gatorade is there is there an optimal type of beverage to uh, to, to to more effectively rehydrate uh, after that 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 type of environmental stress?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if you can get it to be, you know, so isotonic, that would be great. Um, you know, figuring out what the <laughs> what you know what it, I just Good think point. you don't want it to be pure water, um, and you know we can't drink 3% saline or we're going to vomit. So, you <laughs> know, um, okay, good, point. <laughs> good point. That's fair. So, um, you know, I think just, and, 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 you know, maybe it can be water, but it's with, you know, a hamburger and fries, right? Like, so that's it doesn't have point. to be in the fluid, right? You just have to get it. If you get it in the food, I think it's fine too, right? So um, that's what we don't always think about is that the, we get a lot of electrolytes from our, from our diet. Um, it doesn't have to be in the fluid that we drink.
0: I think I think that's a I think that's a really good point too. Um Dave, this has been a it's been a fascinating conversation. Uh I've been I've been eager to get you on the show for a while. Uh and uh and this definitely did uh didn't disappoint. Uh I, I wanna thank you again for uh f- for appearing and uh yeah, this this was great. Thank you.
1: Yeah, thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. It's a good time.
0: You know, perhaps the best thing about chatting with Doc is that he helps to fill in the gaps in my memory about our time at Wake. And as many stories as we shared, there were an equal number of great memories we didn't get a chance to cover. Well, if you liked what you heard, please consider giving the show a follow. And if you really liked what you heard, please consider sharing it with your friends. I'll be posting some supporting media on my Twitter account at Coach Chris J. Dunn. So please make sure to check that out. And lastly, remember... The secret to living well and longer is to eat half, walk double, laugh triple, and love without measure. Until next time.